Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the 21st, April 21st, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. On tap for today's show is Claire Trevor Brand, School of the Arts, ever enterprising drama chair Jane Page, returns to the show this time with three Masters of Fine Arts directors, Sarah Betts, Travis Kendrick, and Paul Cook presenting on campus next week, the Shakespeare Shorts Festival. Then we'll have a look behind closed door meeting between local citizens climate change activist Bruce Tierney and Congresswoman Mimi Walters of District 45. Fellow citizens climate lobby activist Mary Klumek joins Tierney to talk about how their method of approaching policymakers has relevance for grassroots organizations all around. So don't go away, we'll be right back after a short station break. Thank you everybody for staying with us. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My first guests are a new batch of thespians picking up where we left off two weeks ago. Uh, then it was Shaken Shakespeare. Today it is the Shakespeare Shorts Festival. Jane Page, director and professor of theater at UCI Hartley needs an introduction with her rapid return from two weeks ago. This time she brings to Studio A three masters of fine arts directors, Sarah Betts, Paul Cook, and Travis Kendrick, who will be presenting in a very special way, in a very special setting, the two gentlemen of Verona Macbeth and the Tempest, respectively. Sarah Butts is in her second year of the MFA Graduate Directing Program at UCI. Before beginning graduate school, Sarah was Associate Artistic Director for Venture Theater in Billings, Montana. She earned her bachelor degrees in both theater and psychology at Carroll College. They're in Helena, right? Sarah will be directing The Two Gentlemen of Verona. Next is Paul Cook, who hails from Chicago and is finishing up his first year in the MFA directing program at UCI. He's been a theater artist all over the country and abroad with roles varying from director, stage manager, designer, and performer. He completed his undergrad degree at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Paul will be directing Macbeth. Last and simply not least, a second year MFA student, Travis Kendrick, who will be directing The Tempest. Originally from Virginia, Paul completed his Bachelor's of Fine Arts Musical Theater in Pittsburgh at Point Park University. Travis has directed and choreographed and recently written the book and lyrics for a new children's musical, Dotty Dot. Welcome back, Jane Page, and welcome to Ask a Leader, Sarah, Paul, and Travis. Hi, Claudia. Thank you. Thanks. It's so great to be back. Thanks for making the time. Well, you're making all the time for us, and I, uh, wow, everybody, you're sucking the imagination and the breath out of me, putting on <laughs> two heavy-duty Shakespeare plays in one sitting. What on, uh, well, some, the, some of them are three, but some the two. What on earth is this project about? From where was this idea hatched, and what would William say? Jane? <laughs> well, we think Bill would be thrilled at this point. <laughs> We're hoping so. A thrilled Bill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a thrilled double Bill, triple Bill Bill. It's a triple Bill, actually, with three shows. Um, this is part of the MFA directing trajectory. Uh, students study language-driven plays and musicals, and one of the things that we're most excited about is that they are, they are challenged to take a full-length Shakespeare, reduce it to about an hour with no more than eight actors. We're doing this not only uh, as an exercise in Shakespeare, but we're also doing it as a site-specific work. In other words, we're taking theater across the bridge into the main campus and doing it against the backdrop of a very unique uh, piece of architecture. Um, it's a wonderful experience to, to, to see Shakespeare outside and also to see it in such a unique place. We're very excited. Well, fine. You said it's a very special setting. We're going to make sure everybody, when you pull up the UCI main campus map, it's a, it has, there's a name for it, the 
Humanities Office Building. It's number 625 on the UCI map. It's also on the bill. It's called the Intercollegiate Athletic Building, but that's not very helpful with the, the main campus map. So just Well, it's funny because now on the map, the map that I have, it is the Intercollegiate Athletic Building. For people who have been at UCI, it was the other building before. It's been repurposed, kind of like us repurposing the outside for a theater. <laughs> that's Oh, that's true. So we just want to make sure, though, that you are drawn to the setting, you know where it is, but of course it'll there'll be ample opportunity for people to see where the sort of prevailing sort of pedestrian traffic is headed because there's going to be opportunities not just for the actual stage performances at the times that we're all going to give you, but there will be chances to see rehearsals uh, leading up until that time. So um, let's talk with each of the directors now about how they've approached reducing a fine work of art. I mean, you're pruning, you're pruning big time. So Sarah Betts, how do you approach the making the two gentlemen of Rona a little bit smaller and uh, as vibey as you, you want it in your own inestimable fashion? Well, our first quarter of grad school this year, we had our directing class was focused on Shakespeare. And within the course of the first quarter, Jane guided us through how to cut um, kind of principles of cutting Shakespeare. Really? And yeah, yeah. And seamstresses <laughs> outside of yeah. the costume room. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. Um, and it's really about finding like what the the action is in each scene and what is essential for the story to move forward. So it's really about kind of figuring that out and um, trying to isolate what's most important. And uh, you're tr- you've, you're trimming characters too because you're you're down to yes. eight. Each one of you has eight in your production, so you have to pick out the essence. And that's I mean everything is there for a purpose. William Shakespeare put in there, so you're going to have to you are repurposing, just as Jane said earlier. Yeah, yes, we are, and and there is some uh, doubling that happens as well. So we have some of the actors that are playing more than one role. So again, that was just sort of that process of cutting it down and figuring out what's most essential or combining characters into one character. Um, I did that in in uh, two gents. So yeah, it's been really fun. Two gents, and that that's what you've even shortened the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're going to turn that over to. Uh, let's see. Let's Paul take Macbeth. Macbeth, right? Uh, oh my gosh! How are you going to trim that? You got? Are you going to have two sisters instead of three I, sisters? I, I, you actually nailed it. We are doing two sisters. <laughs> have you been watching rehearsals? No, no. But I mean, there are three. It's the Trinity. But you're now it's sure. the duo. Well, I sort of like the wow. idea thematically that it's this good versus evil war, uh, and so two seemed like an appropriate number to kind of wage that battle. <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah. awesome in the word before surfers took over that word. Okay, <laughs> that's amazing you're doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a, a great challenge to figure out, like Sarah was talking about, what is most essential um, and how can we get the story as efficiently and as muscularly out to the audience as possible. So that is extraordinary. And so it's, how many minutes do you have that massive tragedy down to? Right now we're at about 65 minutes. Um, we're hoping to Jeez. tighten that up a little bit just to make it really lean and mean. Okay, so you're going to have every, and so that doesn't, you can't, now if it's a shorter play, the tension doesn't mount in the same way the longer one. You still have comic relief. In, in the um, as a part we've of streamlined some of that. Um, Macbeth famously has a porter scene, which oh provides my gosh. some comic. And oh, you're gonna hate me, but we've we've cut the porter scene out no. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't hate you, yeah. <laughs> but I, I I just don't know how you do it. Sure. Uh, yeah, we tried to focus on what are the most essential pieces of the storytelling, um, and and to try to uh, eliminate um, things that would maybe take us on a different road. Uh, you know, we have the requirement of it fitting into an hour, and we wanted to tell the best strongest story that we could so some great parts had to go unfortunately so uh, there I'm thinking of the whole structure where there's the Macbeth meets those two sisters mm-hmm. at the same maybe not as many times but he's going to see the ghost he's going to see all kinds of uh, he's going to be reminded and misinterpret over and over um, right. what what they are obviously identifying him as the person he doesn't recognize, uh, doesn't realize that he's the person that they're describing or the situation that uh, that he thinks he's uh, immune to the consequences that he set in play with his choices. Yeah, all of a sudden he finds himself in over his head. And what do you do? How do you how do you negotiate that? And Lady Macbeth has fewer spots. Uh, ac- well, actually, um, we I've 
the most important relationship for me in the play is the Macbeth Lady Macbeth relationship. Yes. Um, and so I've tried to keep as much of that material intact as possible. Uh, okay. That's some really great juicy stuff. Um, so that's that's where we've tried to hold as true as possible to the original. Well, very good. Well, you can tell. Sorry about that, Sarah. I just Macbeth is a little fresher in the head, so I'm too gentleman grown. I wasn't yeah. so indulgent. It's with a what little you're more pairing. obscure. Yeah. It, well, not more <laughs> obscure, but. Uh, this too, oh, that's the merchant I was thinking. Okay, so let's take it over then to Mr. Kendrick here. And how are you approaching The Tempest? I think one of the things that we uh, found in cutting was sometimes the subplots get shorter or disappear altogether. And I've had a great joy finding the way that the comic relief, as you mentioned earlier, stays intact. And in these shorter versions, yes. the comedy kind of... Uh, jumps right in, not blindsides you, but kind of takes you by surprise often because so many times the scenes are quite short. And so the um, fun uh, clowns in The Tempest pop out of nowhere and run around, and uh, that's pretty exciting. Now, is Eli Simon helping out with the clowns? No, but Sarah and I had the joy of taking his clowning class uh, he last helped quarter. In. He helped in, the, in advance. So I learned a lot in advance. Okay. <laughs> okay, good, because that is Eli Simon's longest suit as the clowns and he does them locally and internationally so that okay well then you've got you I imagine you didn't know you had such a tremendous resource there <laughs> okay well fine and so any other trimmings that you uh, or uh, adaptations you want to talk about a little bit I guess uh, for me in The Tempest um, the re love relationship between Ferdinand Miranda was really important and so we find that both Prospero and uh, Ferdinand Miranda those three um, become the focal point where all the other characters um, revolve around. So the doubling for me is the other characters each double, but those three stay true to those um, three specific characters. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming all over in the theater lobbies on the web. We're wide are on KUCI.org. My guests are UCI professor and drama director at the Claire Trevor School of the Arts, along with the three masters, uh, that's Jane Page, and with three masters of fine arts students, Sarah Betts, Travis Kendrick, and Paul Cook, presenting April 30th through May 2nd, the Shakespeare Shorts Festival. Well, the details, we need to know those because of, well, the running up to that, those opportunities and the actual times, and this, these are all free, correct? So it's because the chair, the chance are springing for this one. <laughs> Thank you, Claudia. Um, yes, all of the performances are free. And this week, if you are just dying to see some uh, rehearsals, you're more than welcome to come to the uh, interne uh, the Intercollegiate Athletic Building on campus. That's Building 625 on the campus map, Caddy Corner to the Bren. Anytime from 6.30 to 10 o'clock at night, Monday through Friday, they'll be under rehearsal. You'll be able to sit in and watch if you like. Um, it's very exciting. The, the program is part of UCI Drama and the Chancellor's Illuminations Art and Culture Initiative. And we've had a wonderful experience working with Julia Lupton, uh, also who's been just really, really supportive of this project. Julia is the chair of the Chancellor's Illumination uh, uh, culture, Arts and uh, Culture Initiative. And that website is available on the, the UCI website. So for people to follow what's going on, we'll not go into the whole other events because it's all about the shorts right now. So uh, that's so May, uh, April 30th is the first uh, official presentation. And Jane, you can tell us the times. Great. Th Thursday the 30th at 7 o'clock, Macbeth. At 9 o'clock, The Tempest. Friday night, 7 o'clock, The Tempest. And 9 o'clock, The Two Gentlemen of Verona. On Saturday, May 2nd, we have a big lineup starting at noon. You can see The Tempest at noon, The Two Gentlemen of Verona at 1.30, Macbeth at 3. Go and grab a little dinner and come back. 7 o'clock, The Two Gentlemen of Verona. And we close with Macbeth at 9 o'clock on the 2nd. Remember, they're all free. Come prepared for the weather because we will be outside. I'd like for Jane to lay out what is so rare and special and sort of cutting edge about this training opportunity and have for for Sarah, Travis and Paul to talk about what they're what they're already gaining from that. This is this is outdoor setting. Well, working outdoors is a really unique and special opportunity for our students as well as our actors. And the acting company for these shows include graduate actors as well as undergraduate actors, which is terrific. Um, 
the notion of working outside, you deal with the elements, you deal with traffic, you deal with air, airplanes, you deal with sprinklers, all sorts of things. So it's you have to be very nimble and you have to be very sturdy as you move outside. And so, uh, Sarah, how, how yeah. is that working out there? Because you're, you're rehearsing some of that. You've already started in rehearsing indoors, and then you move out. To, you're going to start moving outdoors this week, are you not? We've or- actually been outdoors for most of the rehearsal process. That's interesting. Yeah, I, um, because just as Jane said, there's some unique challenges with being outside. And so um, I certainly I wanted to get the actors used to that right away. So we've been outdoors for uh, pretty much since the beginning, since we got on our, our feet, like the second week of rehearsal. So, all right. Yeah. Paul. Yeah, Claudia, we've been doing a little bit back and forth between inside and outside, uh, trying to get used to the outdoor challenges, um, but also making sure that we're spending time, you know, sitting around a table talking and making sure we're clear about the text. Um, But one thing that I've really enjoyed has been the largeness of scope when one is outside. Um, You really allow yourself to adjust the size of the performance. And your Uh, voice. You're not, (laughs) right? Exactly. Absolutely. It's going out. It's not Mm -hmm. bouncing back. Right. Yeah. It's not just a tiny little theater. You get to fill all of the outdoors, which is really great with these big, big stories. Okay. And so, yeah. I mean, that that does pose an issue, though, with them bouncing. So, and, um, and go ahead, Travis, how is it working out for the Tempest. Uh, one thing that became really clear to me was how important language is. And of course, we think about that when we think about uh, Shakespeare's works, but um, being outdoors illuminated that for me, how important it is to... Illumination. Julia will love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes about how the characters communicate to each other on a larger scope, like Paul said. Really, the words are the juice. And are these three productions... Is this setting the stage for the uh, summer production, this New Swan Theater? Are you uh, able to sort of uh, get some people groomed for any kind of performance? It's not related. Jane's shaking her head no. Okay. (laughs) All right. So certainly being outside is similar, but it's a really different environment. Also because we are doing every show performs without any lighting during the day, like it is done in the Globe, even to this day in London as well as at night. So they're really getting to see their work under a lot of different circumstances. The other thing to know is there's over 50 Shakespeare festivals in this country, and many of them are outdoors. So getting trained to work outdoors hopefully will make these uh, young directors really capable as they enter the professional freelance world. Have any of you an idea about who's going to show up? Like, like what what's what's kind of audience are you looking forward to let's just let's talk about that component the engagement part the the other side of the coin as it were sarah um i'm hoping that we get a wide range of people coming to the shows and actually it's been fun just so far with rehearsals people wandering by and sometimes they'll sit and watch for a few minutes and i know these are not folks that are part of the drama department so i hope that these uh this production and this fe- these productions and this festival brings in folks certainly from the 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 school of drama but also outside and f- from um a lot of different parts of the campus as well Okay, and I'm imagining that this word is getting out beyond. But with this podcast, let's hope that uh, more more people are snared in. Paul? Yeah, I think we're trying to reach as many people as possible. I think of we're course. all really drawn to the idea of Shakespeare not just being for theater people and not just being for an academic elite population, um, but to really bring it out. That's one of the goals in bringing it across the bridge to the main campus was to try and get people who might not go see a play to come see some Shakespeare. Right. Travis? Absolutely. Uh, the hope, I think, is to get a lot of folks that maybe Shakespeare is the, it's their first time seeing Shakespeare. They're less familiar. Or they've just read it in English class. So hopefully, you know, we have such a large undergraduate population and hopefully they'll come out and see Shakespeare maybe even for the first time. Well, I was wondering if the uh, Shake and Shakespeare, are, the, are they in a way sort of threading in a, a bit of a promotion uh, while they're interacting with the public out there? Because they're still shaking, aren't they? <laughs> oh, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> uh, we're even getting requests to be sh- to be Shakespeared. And I would say if you're really interested, you know, Friday afternoons around 5 o'clock down by the pub, uh, you can almost guarantee that you're going to be Shakespeared if you're down there around 5 o'clock on Friday. The Shaken Shakespeare is really an umbrella project that is going on the entire quarter all over campus and we're even crossing the bridge over to the university center and this is this uh festival is sort of part of that they are certainly linked in service to each other and also in service to uh 
the celebration of Shakespeare and also in support of the new swan because we really hope that people that go to the shows or get Shakespeare through Shake and Shakespeare will also go in and uh, participate and see things at the new swan this summer. And Jane, you offered for us, we're going to have our fun drive starting April 27th. And I just want to know if your offer is still good for the Shakespeare shirt, the Shakespeare shirt. Okay. And so in service of that, I wanted to know whether the Bard, how the Bard pitch a college radio fun drive. Just wondering. Sarah? Action is eloquence. Take action now. Donate to KUCI. Oh, thank you. All right, that's that's a wrap. We're going to use that. Okay, Paul. What what would now? There, it's. I don't think there's a tragedy if we don't get funding enough to keep things. I mean, you can see how funky some of this equipment is. How <laughs> how retro the console is. So, but anyway, what Paul? What would you? Um, what would the Bard say for? In, well, from your perspective? you're putting a lot of pressure on me, Claudia. Um, but the Bard might say something along the lines of, hmm, "If from your money you can bear to part." Then give to us, it will do good your heart. Support the station, that brings you such joy, for it will not your pocketbook destroy. And smile unto yourself as sleep draws nigh, for you supported our KUCI. I am so glad, I asked. Bravo. <laughs> well, Travis, what the Tempest, uh, from that perspective, or uh, any other Shakespearean sensibility you can read, what, what, what do you think would be a bard's pitch? Well, as Prospero says in The Tempest, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. And so we're dreaming about your donation. Thank you. That's lovely. I'm, you know, I am glad I asked. I, I, you already had enough on your plate, but I, th this is wonderful to have. Well, I'm glad you could pitch that. And folks, that this is no fictionalization. And I'm not, we're, we're not going to have a short, a brief pitch drive. We're going to be on from the, the uh, 27th of April until about, I'm going to have to check my notes again, This at least the 7th of May. So we'll be asking for your support that time. But this was just a little jump on that. So I want everybody to go onto the UCI website and look at the Chancellor's U, the, the UCI Illuminations, the Chancellor's Arts and Culture Initiative. It's loaded all the way. Now, yep, I'm going to be starstruck a little bit. James Franco will be appearing at the Barclay in September. So, But there is so much along the way now with the, the shorts, and I, I think it's going to be a really terrific thing. So there's so many opportunities to the, the send-up, and the presentation, and and I think Jane is outfitting with her ever, as I said earlier, her enterprising ideas, uh, this talent to uh, be real forces to be reckoned with in the most creative of enterprises theater. So I, I'm really glad that you could all come down here. Thanks, Jane Page, Sarah Betts, Paul Cook, and Travis Kendrick for coming down to the studio with me here today on Ask a Leader. Our Thank pleasure. You. Thanks Thank a you. lot, Claudia. Good luck, and I will. Uh, I'm going to get to a rehearsal. I think I've got. Uh, I've got a Bollywood wedding to go to. That's straddling most of those productions. It's a. It's going to be in Orange County, so uh, I'm. I'm going to do it all. So I. I want to thank you again and wish you uh, success in roping in a, as diverse of an audience that you all can muster, and I think you'll do well. So thanks again. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. That was Nueva España. It was the period piece, maybe not necessarily the origin, but it's a it's a piece I love to pair with this theme. So next on our show um, are my guests on Ask a Leader for the second half hour, Bruce Tierney and Mary Klumick, valiant volunteers affiliated with the Citizens Climate Lobby, a national grassroots organization with now, I think it's a couple of chapters here in Orange County. Uh, Mary Klumick is a volunteer at Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, she's the team leader organizing the letter to the editor writing campaign uh, in all of the immediate outlets that one could imagine. Mary was raised here in Orange County and completed her undergraduate degree in philosophy at UCI. After career and secretarial work and medical insurance billing, she changed professions by later earning a BA in communication disorders at Cal State Fullerton and a master's in speech pathology at the University of Washington. 
She stayed on in Seattle working at the VA hospital nearby Tacoma, and then she returned to Orange County in the early 90s, 1990s and worked at UCI Medical. She's been there ever since. Joining Mary Klumick in studio with me is Bruce Tierney, who is also a product of Southern California. He earned his undergraduate degree from UC Santa Barbara in mechanical engineering and a postgraduate degree from UCLA in heat transfer and thermodynamics. Ha, huh, he knows all about changing climates and all. On an article, online article advocating a nonpartisan solution to climate change, he authored on Citizens Climate Lobby, inspired him to, well, this article inspired him to join the volunteer organization where he now serves as a liaison for the 45th Congressional District. He joins us in studio, as I said. Um, if I do this interview right, I will... We'll all come away with a renewed sense of the possible in reaching out to folks of a different mind about tackling some of the most daunting problems that we all face. Welcome to the show, Mary and Bruce. Great Thank to be you. here. Thank you, Claudia. First, I'd like for Mary Klumick to speak briefly to the Citizens Climate Lobby, their general approach toward reaching out to policymakers as well as the press. Okay. Thank you, Claudia. Citizens Climate Lobby is a nonpartisan, nonprofit group, and its focus is on addressing national issues that have to do with climate change. So what we want to do is create political will. We want to create more of a groundswell of support for climate action legislation at the national level, and this will support our legislators to enact laws, to pass laws. So we do this by letter writing campaigns, both in our local newspapers and also uh, letters to the op-ed submissions and meetings with editorial boards. And we also try to meet with our local representative in Congress, both here in the district and in Washington, D.C. And the nice thing about CCL, I think, what distinguishes it is that it endorses a friendly partnership with the representatives. We don't go in as adversaries. We're not there to attack them or confront them on their on their stance on climate change. We're looking for common ground, and um, we try to create a relationship with them. And um, again, uh, the nice, another nice thing about uh, Citizens Climate Lobby is that the goal is to create a political will, but also to change us, those citizens who are working um, to make a change. You know, a few years ago, I used to think, well, climate change, somebody will take care of it. You know, it's such a big problem. Someone else will take care of it. But since joining this group, I find that somebody is all of us, all of us. And it has really energized me to be part of this endeavor. I just want to say to your credit, too, Mary, I'm aware from uh, watching a listserv that you all put uh, together in the local chapters that you're looking at all media outlets. You're not just watching what the press is printing, but if, if Fox has something that really needs to be called back in, that you're always watching for opportunities to respond right. to, to electronic media as well as the printed media. Yes, so, yes. Well, uh-huh. uh, be, uh, before we get into the logistics of what Bruce Tierney's uh, meeting was all about, I had my own set of difficulties securing an interview with Congresswoman Mimi Walters. Uh, what that's when at that time she was the state senator for the our local district. I wanted to have interview her prior to the primary. It was important, I thought, to present her candidacy to community radio listeners, given how scarce her campaign appearances were, and it's a pivotal thing that she represents our district and the electorate had known very little about her, and I'm not very sure how much more the electric knows about her. So what got the ball rolling, Bruce, that um, you'd been trying, I think, yourself for many times to get a hold of Mimi? Well, tell us how you had endeavored to get a hold of her predecessor, John Campbell. Yeah, so I've tried that in the past to reach John Campbell and had no success with that. And so with Mimi Walters, we really went in with this this sort of CCL strategy in which we made it clear we were there to help her. So she didn't think of climate change as sort of an adversarial topic. 
So it took, you know, it was a, she was brand new as a federal congressperson. So she was just setting up the office. They were certainly very busy. Um, but it took me about 15 attempts, both uh, through email, through phone calls. And, you know, they're very busy. We were very deferential and aware of that and supportive of that. But mostly, I think one of the key uh, strategies of success was making it clear, you know, we had a strategy that would work within the framework of what she's coming from, the Republican perspective. And so I think, you know, that was a key aspect that really opened the door for us. So the meeting was set up and you work through a scheduler. So I worked very closely with her time and time again. So she said she'll be back in early April. Let's do it. And so sure enough, we go into the office in the local Irvine office here. And there she is. Where is that exactly? It's on Michelson near Michelson and Jamboree. Okay. And so we had a full 30 minutes with her. And she, I found her to be very open-minded, good listener. Um, and so what I, we've done is we've researched her. We've watched her Fox, uh, Fox News uh, casts. We watched her on CNN, MSNBC, and you know, really pulled out a key aspect of what she said. She said, I'm pragmatic. I appreciate the art of compromise, and I want to get things done. So we went in and we mentioned that. So you... Not, I don't say mimicked, but you used every single word right back. Yeah, so we'd echo. So you helped her own, exa- own that in your yes. frame. Yeah, and and so we said, you know, we are here, you know, in contrast to what you may be thinking about the topic, there are really two big, two big strategies, governmental strategies on climate change. And so we contrasted cap and trade, which she's very familiar with as a state senator, versus our approach. And it's much more of a lightweight approach. It's a market-based approach, and it doesn't have a heavy regulatory aspect to it. And so we said, look, we're here to help you win on this issue. And she said, you know, I really do need an answer to climate change because I'm going to get asked that question more and more again. And we said, you should think of us as on your team. We're here to help you. We have an incredible depth of resources and experts that can help with this. So she was very receptive to that topic. She has connected us with um, one of her staffers in D.C. So we're, you know, it's early on. So we're optimistic and hopeful that we're going to keep down the path and help her develop a policy consistent with her ideals. Bruce, I want to know how much you presented your own professional credentials as a way of kind of signing her on into sort of a conventional, hard science kind of framework for her to, yeah. to see that uh, you're, uh, you're not a veins in your teeth, tree-hugging sort of uh, exactly, yeah. uh, activist. And th- 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 everybody's got a role in all of this, so I'm, I'm not disparaging that. But you perhaps had a comportment that might have had a different and maybe a much, uh, much more effective appeal to, to Mimi Walters. Right. Great question. So we could have gone in there. And, you know, one of the things that was fascinating was she volunteered volunteered her opinion on climate change. And like what, what, what did she say? She said, she said, there may be some validity. I believe there's some validity to climate change, but I don't believe any of it is human cost. And that was where, as Mary was talking about, we could have taken sort of the, the you know, instinctual reaction where you want to just sort of bombard with the scientific evidence. And what we did was instead, we said, you know, look, everyone in this room agrees that there's some validity to climate change. So let's focus on a solution to that. And so we just took it down that path. You know, we gave a a brief little explanation of 275 parts per million. And now in the pre-industrial era, and now we're at over 400 parts per million. But we quickly moved off of that. And we said, let's focus on a solution. You're going to get asked this question. Okay. You need a solution. She said, yes, I do need a solution. And so we were, we kept sort of reiterating our approach, our market-based approach. And so I felt it was a very productive first meeting. Now, I want to say that Grace Bertolet, Bertolo uh-huh. was, was in the meeting with you. Yes. Mary, Mary is <laughs> keeping the, the fires burning on the, <laughs> on the media monitoring front in, in other areas in, uh, with the chapter. But what did Grace bring to it? She's, of course, a woman and reading cues like no man can. So, <laughs> and a cue reading, uh, visual cues is uh, maybe something you also keep uh, on your little ledger. But so what kind of professional bona fides and other things that she bring to that meeting of 30 minutes. So one of the most important things that we're taught in CCL and she did brilliantly in that was to start off with some sort of thank you because very often these people are used to getting bombarded and attacked by constituents about some issue they're furious about. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's right. That's (laughs) the instinctual reaction. I'd be such the hothead. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've I've done better. 
I've, yeah. I've made my case for various things uh, yeah. when I was fully pregnant, and I thought that that'll, <laughs> so it was a softer touch then. But yes, anyway, so yeah, so, so Grace was doing. Yeah, so she came in and she started off. She said, "You know, I want to thank you with how you always start off your your um, presentations and and your interviews with an appreciation for the kids." And she says, "That's why I'm here, my kids and my <sighs> grandkids, because every one of her presentations, she said, Mimi Walter says I have four kids." They're really important to me. I worry about their future. So we came in, and Grace did an excellent job going through that. We started off, we had a little PowerPoint presentation we made, and we had two slides of her grandkids and my two daughters, which are the same age as two of Mimi Walter's daughters. Okay. So I'd already sort of warmed up the relationship, and she sensed these people are not adversarial, and they're actually going to help me on a topic that many Republicans have been sort of boxed into a corner on climate change and they need a way out and so we think mm-hmm. we have a solution that's nonpartisan that will appeal to the republicans and the democrats for those of you who've just joined us you're listening to ask a leader on radio 88.9 fm in irvine this is kuci and we're streaming live on the web and we have podcasts too at askleader.com on the web we're streaming right now at kuci.org my guests for this portion of the hour are mary kumik and Bruce Tierney. Bruce Tierney is the Citizens Climate Lobby's liaison for the 45th Congressional District, and Mary Klumick leads the organization's efforts to respond to media coverage of climate change, all aspects of climate change, all media. So back to this meeting where we're at, where the where Grace Burley and you are with Mimi Walters. You got 30 minutes. Uh, then uh, did she, Mimi Walters, have any aides with her that are taking notes while she's listening? She did. She had one local staffer and. Um, the staffer wasn't that involved until the end. So we were looking for a solution, and Mimi Walters had some ideas, and the staffer jumped in and said, well, you know, I just had a conversation with one of our legislators, legislative aides back in D.C. on climate change, which I thought was good to hear. And so he said, why don't I go ahead and contact that person to find out who it is? So um, I called him last week. He said, yes, I've reached out to that person. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on this week, so let me get back to you in the next week to see who you're going to talk to and who is the next step here. How about you're going to be meeting then in Washington, D.C. in June. And so what arrangements, I mean, you're talking about setting the stage, but what, what will you take from there? Are you going to ask for another, maybe one of her uh, colleagues uh, in the meeting? What's, what's, what's your dream setting for sure. a meeting in June? And June, is our date certain? Uh, yes. So, oh. well, no, the, the meeting is not set up. We'll be there a specific week. It's our interna- our national conference. Okay, that's yeah, when you're there. And Mark yeah. Tabber, who's been on here before, is talking yes. about coming back uh-huh. fresh from that meeting. Yep, Mary and I will both be there. Yes, okay. <laughs> and so our dream meeting is on Tuesday to meet, uh, this is the week of June 22nd, I believe, uh, Tuesday is to have a meeting with the staffer. So there's a staffer focused on energy and environment. So we would uh, meet with that person and then on Wednesday to meet with Congresswoman Walters again. And we told her at this last meeting, we'll be out in D.C. We'd like to meet with you again. And she was very open and receptive to that. What was the follow up to the meeting that she might or anyone from the office initiated? And there and what were some sort of action items that you genially put at her feet sure so she said okay well maybe you can help us develop and craft some policy and so we were shocked and very excited to hear that so we were we were ready we were ready yes another hot hot, another point powerpoint for that uh well we had about six seven slides so we had a lot of things in there that i think by the by the time we got through that she was pretty warmed up to uh, some of the ideas and definitely believed we could help her out Okay, so what what were her action plans? So the action plans was great. Why don't we connect you with someone on our staff that can um, you can work with to help write policy? And then that was then when her staffer said, well, why don't I figure out who that is? Why don't you send me an email with your contact information? So I did that, and just a few days ago reached out to that guy again. He says he's still working it. Working it. He's working it, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So is anybody going to be following you on your Facebook or is there some is there anything they say well we just need to keep getting more information we're just going to keep looking for more talking points and more thing I mean is there a sort of a a sustained kind of a contact back and it's, forth that it's, you're It's going to be up? sustained and we're going to do that. We don't want to overwhelm them, but we're going to definitely continue following up. They know they're going to have to we're going to be in DC, so we're going to be with them then. Um so um, it's really, I think, going to be up to us to keep keep the ball rolling, keep the contact going, be very diplomatic, but make sure this continues to, to march forward. Now, 
I'm I didn't prepare you for this one in advance, but the how would you compare this budding collaborative sort of a, this relationship with the one that CCL has been working with Dana Rohrbacher? Well, I would say, um, you know, uh, our He's counterpart. He's also a Congress folks. <laughs> sure, yeah. So, you know, we also have relationships there. And I know Mark mm-hmm. Tabard and some of the others, they've said, we went out and had a beer with Dana Rohrbacher. And mm-hmm. so they've got the conversation going. And, you know, I think it's going to it's gonna take more than a beer to get things happening here. But I, what's really interesting, and I think where there's hope, is you look at like Rob Portman, I think he's a senator from Ohio, yes. and his son came to him and he said, you know what, dad, I'm, I'm gay, and all of a sudden his dad does a 180 degree flip on gay marriage. And you know, all these people have children, and a lot of the kids are kind of going to hear from their buddies, and they're going to ask the senator or congressman, mom, dad, where do you stand on climate change? Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to be big partners with us, whether they're part of CCL or just having these conversations with these people. And it's going to be like some of these recent trends that five years ago, you didn't think gay marriage was going to move much. And we've seen a lot of movement on that in the last five years. I think climate change is a good opportunity for that as well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, yes, Mary. Um, one of our members, Breen Murphy, had a face-to-face meeting with Dana Rohrbacher. And it went very well, again, uh, very friendly. And uh, Breen found out that Dana is uh, very concerned about methane. So he may have this overall um, uh, uh, disregard, perhaps, of climate change in general and what's out in the popular press. But he's not that worried about carbon dioxide. Apparently, he's more worried about methane. Yes, which does and have a it's a more catalytic kind of... A it's a, a more powerful depleting. greenhouse yes. gas, yes. And so, so w- what helps us at these, at these meetings is not just conveying our ideas to them. We have to be good listeners. We have to find out what do they think. And it's surprising that you can go in with presupposed prejudices about what a person is like, and yet you find out he, he really is sincerely concerned about methane. So that's a common ground for us. And uh, that's why it's important that we continue these dialogues. I, it's certainly, it's intuitive, it's obvious about the importance of listening, but I guess your being here reinforces that essential function mm-hmm. in reaching across along that political spectrum. Bruce? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's that and it's another aspect. I think it's really important to get in the mind of these people and, and, know, and be prepared and know what the way they're thinking. So you don't approach a person like that and say, you know, what about the polar bears and what about the particles in the air? You approach them and you say, look at what's happened in Syria. Look at what climate change did to that area. And it was the spark that kicked it over the threshold and caused a civil war. When the more that happens in our world in the future the more we're going to have more ISIS-like terrorist attacks maybe coming into the U.S. You know, those are the those are the real hot points that really are climate change related that resonate very well with some of these Congress people. Mm-hmm. Bruce, think about your meeting with Mimi Walters and what factual, what kind of, of data points uh, was she asking them, spending the most time about? What what areas did she want to, to learn more about? I know you're listening, but now she's, she's uh, you're listening to her ask you the question. So what what kinds of, of science did she want to know more about, or was it more she wanted to know more about the economic framework? Yeah, I would say it's more of those issues. And so, you know, she wanted to make sure this wasn't going to be a big government thing. You know, we mentioned a market-based approach, and she used market and free market type terminology. She worries about regulations. Um, I went to a meeting of hers at a, a, a Republican club meeting just to hear her speak, and I asked a question about climate change. And she just sort of mostly real fo- focused on there's too much regulations, it's going to burden business. So, you know, that to me was here's someone that needs a good solution, a good answer to climate change, which is what she was very open and asked us about. Did you sense that while she spoke that she was working with a disciplined talking point or did you did you see her move off of that once there was different data, a different dynamic that you brought to her? 
you know, when, when it was a large event and there was 200 people and she didn't have an answer, that was sort of a talking point response. But we were there in the right. meeting. How did that go? I sensed, I sensed, you know, some opportunity. You mentioned John Campbell earlier. She's very different than John Campbell. Um, she would ask questions. She said, okay, well, I like that. I like the free market approach. I do have concerns about this and that. Um, so it wasn't, you know, we knew going in, we weren't going to try and bombard her with scientific facts. Those have been out there easy for anyone to read in the past. So we don't need to go in with that. It's more about how we appeal from her, her frame, her perspective. So it was about economics. It was about jobs. And coincidentally, the Sunday before our meeting, which was on a Tuesday, there was a, an editorial in the Orange County Register about a carbon tax. Right, from, mm-hmm. from Tom Campbell. Tom Campbell. Right. That's on your exactly. Facebook. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay. So we, we talked about that perspective. We also talked about George. Gave her coverage. Yeah, gave her coverage, exactly. And we also talked about George Schultz, who is uh, the former Secretary of State for Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan, and he is an advisor on the board of Citizens Climate Lobby. And right. her eyes lit up. I think she may she have. Not, she had not been aware. She was not aware that I think she may know him or have met him or something because she really was interested and surprised to hear that. Well, I mean, he does hang around Stanford a little bit. So. Maybe that's what <laughs> it is. Along the- yeah. So really, we really approached it much more from those angles rather than the scientific angle. Grace did a, a great job at giving a little description of the parts per million discussion. And then she she quickly you know moved on to other things. We didn't want to spend too much time on that side. Well, we know Mimi Walters has at least one in college now. Uh, so that, that maybe that college... Education mm-hmm. is going to uh, start so, cross-pollinating yes. the uh, the the campus discussion of of climate change, and maybe those the dinner mm-hmm. table starts to uh, exponentially increase the intensity of yeah. her uh, engaging your resources. Yes, she she mentioned that one of her go yes, ahead. Yes, Ma- Mary. Um, in last year's um, international conference in D.C., one of our speakers was Bob Inglis, who yes. was a congressman from South Carolina. And he thought, you know, climate change was a hoax and this and that. And um, one day one of his sons came to him and said, Dad, if you don't clean up your act on climate, I'm not voting for you. And from that moment on, Bob Inglis said, well, let me take a look at this. And And he 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 went into it with both feet. And he went to Antarctica. He looked at the core that they pulled up and... He saw for himself what is going on. He later went to the um, Great Barrier Reef and worked with oceanographers and marine biologists there. So he actually did what, you know, people need to do, and he has completely changed on that. He's still very conservative, believes in conservative values, but he supports a revenue-neutral carbon tax, which is... It will help bring down carbon emissions, and uh, at the same time, it's completely in keeping with conservative values. So Bob Inglis is also a big um, colleague of ours. He's also been working on getting uprooting that orthodoxy of that the Republican Party is maintaining mm-hmm. in Congress about uh, dismissing the right. the obvious uh, human uh, impact, the humus, human causes for uh, the climate change. Well, I I want to give you a, a quick chance to tell us a bit about how folks can get involved with Citizens Climate Lobby, and I'll put up everything on the web here, my mm-hmm. uh, summary, uh, where people get, but tell them uh, it's around the corner, the next meeting, and around the corner tomorrow night, the, the weekly uh, conference uh, introduction call. Oh, yes. Uh, every Wednesday at five o'clock is an introductory call. You log on to the website at citizens, with an S, climatelobby.org, and uh, hit uh, introductory call and sign on for that. Also, uh, Citizens Climate Lobby Orange County Chapter meets the first Saturday of every month at 10 o'clock. We usually gather at 9.30 for coffee and bagels, and... um, would love to have you join us. May 2nd the next time. May 2nd, correct. Saturday, May 2nd. St. Michael's Episcopalian there? Uh, yes, St. Michael's and All Angels in Corona Del Mar. I think the address is 3233 Pacific View Drive in Corona Del Mar. Um, sometimes our venue changes, so please check the website uh, before coming. Yes, Bruce. Yeah, and the one thing I'd like to add for for everyone listening, you know, there's you can all go through the sort of that first phase, which probably most of you have, and that's great, where you put in CFL bulbs and LED bulbs, and you turn the lights out when you leave the room. 
And that's sort of a great first step. And we could all sort of randomly do things, call Congress people, um, and it's be hard to have that make enough of an impact. So I encourage people to look for, whether it's CCL or some other organization like CCL, where everyone is not only working towards the same, uh, the same solution here for climate change, but everyone has a common focus, a common problem, a common way, a common methodology, and everyone's working towards that. And so um, I encourage you, you know, really to take that next phase because that's what it's going to take to really break through and do something about climate change. Mm-hmm. And I want to give both of you a a real quick chance as we wind down the interview today. Let's get personal about the dividends, especially with your involvement with Citizens Climate Change. What do you get out of your involvement and what do you learn? What what kinds of relationships are you getting from this that are a way to appeal to people? To Well, it's a very positive, very positive atmosphere. Um, We don't sit around and wring our hands and think of the gloom and doom of what's going to happen to us with climate change. We have very specific actions that we can take. We support each other. I haven't met anybody in the group that, uh, (laughs) you know, isn't a great person. I think they wouldn't be there if they weren't really wonderful people. I've grown as a person in these last two years. I know that. Uh, it's a it's quite a disciplined group and I That's enjoy sure. it very much. You've been laser like on exactly what part you want to take up with climate change and, and I they think really that's a potent approach. Try to educate us to all aspects of climate change and the carbon fee and dividend approach. And Bruce, what dividends yeah. do you get from well, this activism? Yeah, I really find it very rewarding. I've been with other organizations in the past, and you know, like Mary said, some of them are just social events, and you're not really doing anything, which is nice, but you don't have that feel like you're making an impact. And we just pulled our, one of our friends into our last meeting, who's uh-huh. a professor at Chapman University in biology, and he was sort of blown away. He was impressed at the structure of the meeting. You know, we had this author of this fantastic book, you know, um, George Marshall, who just came out with a book, Don't Even Think About It, which is sort of a lot of people think on climate change. And so it's a really well-run group. And like Mary said, um, you know, everyone's sort of feeding off their successes. Mary will have an article in in the, uh, the letter to the editor, and we're all rewarding and reinforced and excited about it. Thank you. I want to thank you both, Mary uh, Klumik and Bruce Tierney of Citizen Lobby. Bruce is the liaison for the 45th Congressional District, and Mary is the eyes and ears on all the media coverage of climate change. Thanks for being on Ask a Leader today. Thanks Thank for you. Having us. Thank you. Here on Ask a Leader next week, I'm having the pleasure of talking with bioethicist Dr. Jason Karlowish, who's written a wonderful piece of historic fiction entitled open wound. I hope you'll join us as he brings medical research values from the 19th century to the present. And when you and I next meet, KUCI will be in full swing in our spring fund drive. The number to keep in mind from now on, it's 949-824-5824. Talk with you next week. Thank you everyone for listening. 